Last week, if you remember, we went uh, through the first couple of verses, the little introduction that Peter gives, and the, the conclusion there was just this, that God saves. God saves. The, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they, they all are laboring and working and coming at this thing from different angles um, with the end result that it's God who saves. God does it. And Peter kind of continues in this, this just general language of just dumping out the tenets of the faith kind of as a way of, he's talking to these people that are called by Christ's name and he's introducing himself by just framing out what it is we believe and to us as a community what that means and it's just loose kind of just pouring out. And as we read this next paragraph, you're going to just see that it's, it just runs together and he's just trying so hard to kind of fit so many words in because he starts a thought and then continues it a little bit further and then does a continuation on the continuation before he comes back and really begins a new sentence and a new thought. And so I'm going to read it one time and I think we've got it on the screen just one time all the way through as a mouthful and then we'll try and break it down. And this is what it says beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, and these have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, to me, that's a mouthful. It's a mouthful, and so how do we break it down? So uh, maybe we'll just reread the first part and kind of show you the way I've diagrammed out the sentences just so you can see all the different descriptors that are kind of going on. And, and Peter begins and just says, In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Well, who's you? You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice. Side note, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And these trials, they have come so that your faith, what faith? The faith that's of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though... Uh, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I think my Mac threw off the spacing on some of those. I'll be in jobs. They do art well. Um, but it kind of breaks out that way. Uh, just a mouthful. And it's all these great, wonderful things that there's something up there being guarded for you and, and it's it's in the future, and you can look to it and get excited, and all these wonderful truths 
and they're just kind of flowing down, cascading down, and then we get to these kind of concluding remarks. It says this, though you have not seen him, Jesus Christ, you love him. You're connected to him, you relate to him, he's out there, it's not too distant for you, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now I want to just pick up on that sentence, you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, because it's, it's pretty strong theological stuff. And I think we've, we've ruled this stuff out of play for a hundred years or more, and we can't talk about happiness. In the church, we can't talk about joy. Um, and the ushers are there at the entrance to churches to make sure you're not smiling. Um, that's really why they're there, because this is a church and it's Christianity, um, and you need to look good and miserable. It's like you're not having any fun. And that's kind of what I think everyone believes. God's a big killjoy, and, and we just do our duty, um, you know, and, but at least we're good people. And so we don't talk about joy. But it says in Romans that the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. And Jesus says, remain in my love, and you remain in my love by obeying my commands. And if you do this, um, I tell you to do this. My whole motivation for giving you this command is so that my joy may be in you, so that your joy may be complete. And Paul goes on in Philippians and, and is trying to just, with exclamation points, just get people excited about their faith. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. The word enjoy means to take in joy. The word rejoice is to like let your joy shine. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he kind of does that famous remark and he couples it up again and says, and I'll say it again, rejoice. I mean it. You know, wipe the frown off your face and get excited about what God has for you. That, that this is great stuff and it's good news and it's the only thing that really matters in life. And rejoice. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in the letter. He said, uh, you know, it's every Christian's duty to be as happy as he can be. There's, there's no value in saying, I could attain this level of happiness in terms of like, and Lewis used it much more like the word joy, okay? Writing in English. Uh, in England, and um, he's saying, if, if you can be this joyful and shine, and just you know, just shine, then there's no value in coming in less than that. Why would you do that? God is a good God, and God is pouring out all these blessings on you, and He's got great things in store for you, and He's redeeming you. And if you can be this joyful, then you ought to be that joyful. There's there's no value in being less than that. And we need to talk more about joy. Because I think when it says, let your light shine before men so that they can see that and get excited about God, I think that has a smile on it, not a frown. And it might be good works. It might be doing wonderful things. It might be loving our neighbors. But it ought to have joy in there. Because that's attractive. I think Jesus was like that. So it says this, Peter says this, he says, you are filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. Do you feel like that this morning? I mean, I thought about this last Sunday, it was Easter. 
Um, and I came in Easter on Easter Sunday, and and, and I'll, I'll tell you where I was at. I mean, I, I preached a sermon on Easter Sunday because I believed in in certain things. But I got home and I was just like, man, sometimes it's just hard to to dig deep inside and to get as excited about the fact that Jesus died for me is that I feel like I'm supposed to. They're welling up that like excitement and enthusiasm. Like sometimes I see people worshiping, and they're like they're not even just raising their hands; they're like pumping fists in the air and um, you know, go God kind of stuff. And I'm just like, wow, oh, that person's sweating while they're worshiping, <laughs> and they've got a joy in them. And, and and we don't always feel that, right? But Peter says that's supposed to be true. You're supposed to be filled with a, a glorious and inexpressible joy. And Peter knows, he just talked about trials. Peter knows you're coming in and, and that the economy's bad. Okay? Peter knows it. You're, you're still supposed to have this amazing joy. Well, that seems confusing to me. Right? Now, I don't know who, who got out of the hospital this week. I don't know what your doctor told you this week. But when I come and say to you, you are supposed to be filled with glorious, inexpressible joy. Um, I, th- I think it. we want to be there, but we look in our, in our, our guts sometimes and we're like, no, I don't know that I'm there. I don't know how to get there. So I looked at that phrase and I started thinking, um, what's in a punctuation mark? Filled with inexpressible, glorious joy. I thought, you know, if you put different punctuation marks behind that, it kind of expresses it. So, the top one's the pump the fist um, worshiper. Um, yes, I am, you know, and they're just bouncing around, and sometimes you're like, I need to be away from you. I don't like you right now. It's, you know, uh, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Third one there, filled with an inexpressible glorious joy. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> you know, I'm really ticked off at God right now. You know, how could He let these things happen to me? If God is really all knowing, all powerful, all loving, why would He allow for the things in my life to be happening in my life? Filled with joy? No. No, I'm filled with anger. The last one, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That one's kind of like a ah, sentence isn't complete. I mean, that, there's got to be something else. I'm, I'm just getting located. What comes? And I think that's the one that leads us into the punctuation mark that we need, and that's the comma. See, we read, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The idea here is pause. Because, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, Peter kind of gives a progression and he, he, he brings it all the way down to the bottom of the funnel. Where it all matters. And what we need to do this morning is reverse engineer our faith. 
Reverse engineering um, simply means that you start with kind of something in mind and then you backtrack and say, if, if this is what we're trying to get, how how do we get there? So if you remember the commercials for like the VW Bug, remember that? Um, reverse engineered from um, UFOs or flying saucers or something like that. Remember the commercials and the Bug is like spinning like a... Okay. Um, <laughs> but the idea was they started with the flying saucer, you know, and said we're going to make a car that looks like that. And then, you know, um, and here's the thing, I think we jump to the idea of joy. And we jump to the idea of significance. Great things. And we jump to the idea of purpose and meaning. And we want to take in this Christianity that's ours and this faith. And we want it to take root. And we want to shine. We want it so bad. And we just feel helpless sometimes, like there's just no power coming to that light bulb. It just, I want, but it's just not there. And we've got to get deeper and say, you know what is underneath that joy? Is this, that we are receiving the goal of our faith. The salvation of our souls. Our faith ought to be connected to one thing. That we are being saved by God. So last week the whole point was God saves. Well, guess what? Um, the other side of this that is, is that we are being saved. This difficult life, this messy life, this self that I've got that I can't always control, it, it is being redeemed, it's being saved. That, that I'm being brought out of this life where my body keeps getting older. And I realize it's transitory, that, that I'm locked on to a hope that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and I can look at that and say, He's conquered death, and I get to go there, and my hope is secure, and none of this other stuff really matters. It's there. I can claim it. That's where my faith, my trust is in, and as I trust on that, my soul, myself, my heart is being saved. Praise God, hallelujah, things are okay. And so even if I suffer, it doesn't matter. Because it's not about this life. And even if I'm not getting wealth, it's okay, that stuff goes anyways. And even if people are ignoring me, it doesn't matter. I'm valuable, I'm important, I know who I'm connected to. And even if people are talking bad about me, you know what? Um, they talk bad about Christ too, and look, He conquered it. And I'm connected to Him, and He's not going to let me go. And so when we understand that the salvation of our souls is the goal of our faith, not money, not health, not popularity, then we can still have joy even though we face trials of many kinds. Does that make sense? It's the only thing that we can grab hold of that makes it all come together. Because if I come in here and I'm expecting wealth and health out of this faith that I've got, this Christian relationship, then the economy throws me for a loop, doesn't it? How can I have joy? The thing I, I wanted, the goal that I was trying to receive is not happening. How can I have joy? Well, if joy comes from being saved, the salvation of my soul, the economy doesn't play what the doctor says to me doesn't play. That's just one more step closer 
to being able to take that inheritance that I've got stored up in heaven. I'm going to a better place. And what we really get that the goal of our faith is the salvation of our souls. We can be strangers here. We can be strangers here with different kinds of values, with different kinds of desires. And we're connected and secure, and that's the wattage of power to light that joy that should be inexpressible and glorious. And so it's a gut check that are we stopping it? Man, I don't feel it. This Christian thing, this life. Uh, I, I walk around with my family, my kids, and my wife, and driving the car, and, and it's just not there. And it's, it's just something's missing, and it's wrong. And, and that tension and that grappling that we spend there, that it has to be connected to something deeper. That the object of our faith, the goal that we have, what we're looking at, when we get on our knees and pray, when we get on our knees and cry, that the one thing we're clamoring for is God save me. Save me. And with everything else, let me just be content and trust you. So God saves. And we are being saved. Now last week I talked about we try and jump up and take credit for the whole salvation thing sometimes. Ah, and it reminded me of um, one of my little cousins. When, when Tam and I got married, he was in middle school. He's got to love those middle schoolers, right? They're <laughs> uh, not in here today. I asked Linda. Um, well, we went to the reception, and this little cousin of mine uh, was bored. So he thought it would be fun to just run around and try and get into every picture of our wedding pictures that was being taken. So every picture, it's Tam and I, and, you know, and this, and it's Tam and I with the cake, and little cousin's head above the cake. And he just ran around wherever the photographer was, and just stuck his head in every single one of our wedding pictures. And I think we do that sometimes with God's salvation that he's working. We just like to pop our head up and say, hey, I want to be important. I need a little recognition here too. Um, I want to be seen. And I said, that's wrong. We insert ourselves. On this side today, we're talking about what is the object of our faith. What's the whole agenda? The whole agenda is that we're, our souls are being saved. Well, I think we try and mess with that too. Because if we're not able to save our souls, it's our faith and God does it. Um, we've got to stick our head in there somewhere, don't we? I mean, that's what we do. So how do we do that? We, we try and smuggle in other stuff that Christianity can be about. Other stuff that our faith can be about, other than the stuff that God's doing on the innermost parts of who I am. So I want to just take a detour. I, 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 um, I'll preface it by this. If I get emotional, um, I've prayed about it. It's not me. It's God. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because I, I want to go off on a tangent. I want to hit it. And I want to hit it good enough so that we don't have to come back to it for quite a while. Um, and I didn't want to do it because I'm enough of a, a people pleaser, very rule conscious, very people pleaserish. Um, am I? No, but honestly, I, I'm a little worried about it. So I, I laid there for two nights thinking about it and just kept feeling like I was pushed more and more here. 
Um, but just couldn't pull a trigger on it. So I grabbed some of the elders this morning and just circled them up and said, what do you think? And uh, I saw fear in their eyes. <laughs> just kidding. Um, they, they said go for it, um, but just don't get emotional. Like in a bad way. And we'll see how it goes. Um, there's a thing that Jesus hated. And I think I hate it too, and I'm afraid to let the hate come out because... I don't want to offend people. But Jesus hated something called legalism. He hated the Pharisees. Hate's a strong word, and I know it. Um, but when Jesus calls them a brood of vipers, I don't know, but I think, I think there's something there that he just found so distasteful because what they were putting forth as the object of faith so different than what he was trying to put forth as the object of faith. But he was saying, look, you need to go to a God who loves you and throw yourself on his mercy and let the inside be radically changed and then bear fruit on the outside. And these other guys are coming along and saying, you know what, if you really wash the outside and scrub it and make it really clean and pretty, then you can play these religious games and you can end up getting a lot of status and recognition and, and power and authority and control. And you can get some, something called pride, which really tastes good to the soul. And, and you can play that game, and that, that should be good. So faith should be about rules and regulations and comparisons so that we can engage in that game and win. Other people will lose, but when other people lose... We win and we look better, religious leaders and Pharisees. And Jesus just so angry at that. Because here's the people that are supposed to be talking to the, the ones that are in the pit, that are struggling for this joy, that are lost, don't even know what God says about salvation. And they're supposed to be helping them up. And Jesus says, you're tying these loads on people's backs so that they'll buckle and fall and you'll be able to look really good and necessary. You tie up a heavy load and you don't lift a finger to help them. You wash the outside of the cup, Jesus said, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Nothing is being renewed inside with you because the object of your faith isn't that a God saves and you need saving. The object of your faith is that it's about religion and you're going to have to win. And Jesus just couldn't take it. And he avoided these guys because they weren't even worth his time. And so he would avoid, 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 and then every once in a while, he'd, they'd get him in his crosshairs and he would just level it out. And then when he left, he said, Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Lord, I mean, he prayed for unity, prayed for unity, prayed for unity before Jesus left. And he also said, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, because that yeast of comparisons and nitpicking and microscopes about rules and regulations and not taking God into account or not looking at the inside and wanting to breathe that little spark into flame. The spark that says, I can get excited about God and that he's saving me. And that it doesn't matter about wealth anymore or popularity or it doesn't matter about status and it doesn't matter about health and it doesn't matter about any of these other things. I, I know where I'm going and I know whose I am. That little flame, that little flame. Jesus wanted his disciples to guard that. He says, 
Beware the yeast of the Pharisees, because if it gets into the community, pretty soon everybody's got comparisons going left and right, and it's all about chopping each other down and nitpicking each other to death, and nobody now is looking at Jesus seated at the right hand of God and realizing that he paid the price that we could be saved. Everybody's trying to figure out what cartwheels and gymnastics they can do so they can look good compared to other people or say they, they can compete in this religion game. Jesus said, be careful for that. It starts small and then it spreads. Why do I bring that up? Uh, a couple reasons. One, because I got a letter on Monday. Uh, I got a letter on Monday. Someone wrote me a three-page letter with attachments. Um, that was going to come visit Antioch and decided not to because they went to the webpage and saw my, my personal little profile. And when I was asked the question, what is your favorite movie, I said, well, my favorite movie was Shawshank Redemption. And this person took the first paragraph and said they weren't going to come to the church because they saw that. took the next two pages to, to, to accuse me of sin. And then the last half page to list action steps um, that I needed to do. And my first question was, who has time to write a three-page letter? <laughs> I don't even write a one-page letter on my anniversary. I, I put my name below what Hallmark says. <laughs> and if you've got time for three-page letters, there's work in the kingdom that needs to be done. And I'll be happy to help you figure out where you, where you can put your time and use it for good. Because I don't know anyone that's got time for three-page letters. The... The other thing about it was just there's, there's people dying in the hospital right down the street. There's marriages that are getting ripped apart. There are children that are getting abused. There are men dying in Iraq getting blown to pieces with bombs underneath their cars. There are little girls in Asia and different parts of the world that are being bought and sold in the sex slave trade industry. There are so many. I've got, a, I've got sin that resides in me that makes it hard even when I want to love somebody. Sometimes I, I, I can't love them. Isn't that a crazy thing in us? That even though we want to be somebody perfect, we just can't always be perfect. That's in me. It's a huge deal. There are huge things going on in this world. And if we're going to nitpick about um, the answer to the question of what someone's favorite movie is, I think we've, we've got our focus in a completely wrong place. I, I think we've got to be careful because we've grown up in a culture for the last hundred years where it was really fun to focus. We didn't have really anything to focus about because economy was doing good. We were getting our um, two cars, two and a half cars, and our three kids, and our whatever over the last hundred years. And so, what do we fill our time with? Well, um, who in our church smokes? Maybe I can just spend some time thinking about that, you know, flipping through the directory and trying to figure out who smokes. And um, Who's got tattoos in our church and piercings? Because that's a really big deal, you know, and maybe I can find that out and then I can step on them and tell them they're not a good person. Um, uh, and I'm still bored. What else can I find that I could maybe nitpick a little bit more about? Um, because that's fun and I enjoy that. It makes me look, look really good. And pretty soon it just goes and it goes and it goes. And when we were over in Burundi, it's a, a, an amazing thing. 
Um, the Christian church there is struggling with legalism in a big way. And they actually believe you can't be a Christian and be in business. You can't be a Christian and be a businessman. Now, at least in the United States, we take it all the way to the line of lawyers, okay? Um, <laughs> and Burundi, like, what are you supposed to do? Get out of business? To be able to say you're a Christian? And this thing just goes and it goes and the yeast begins to work. And why do I say that? It fits with our text. And here's my philosophy on a couple of things. I'll just give you a backstory. I like doing book studies because sooner or later you hit topics that seem to fit that you wouldn't have picked if you were just doing a topical study. You read through a book and it forces you to get to certain areas. And I, I got here today because it's real simple. We're, we're supposed to have this faith that's about the salvation of our souls. And it leads to joy. And joy is a really big deal because I want to see my brothers and, and sisters in Christ happy and content and fulfilled. Well, what kills this thing over here is when we make the faith, the object of our faith, not about the salvation of our souls, but about rules and regulations and the law. Okay? It, it cuts off the ability to go to here and get excited about what God is doing because we're so focused on what we're doing or not doing and what other people are doing and not doing. And so when Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said this. He was so perplexed and they had a bunch of legalistic types come up to the community. And Paul says, who stole your joy? I mean, can you imagine like a parent? Paul like had this concern for his churches. And he labored and poured his life into people. And he leaves them. And there's joy there. There's fire there. There's life there. And he, he looks back and all of a sudden now, they're nitpicking with each other. And Paul says, who stole your joy? He hurts inside. And he goes on to say, who cut in on your race with the rules and the regulations to steal your joy? I preached Christ crucified, the object of our faith. And men have come and made it about religion and not relationship and rules and regulations and and they've changed this. And they've robbed you of your joy. And he aches inside. He aches inside so much that he went to Peter who wrote this letter. And he called him out. He said, Peter, what are you allowing to happen? You're allowing legalism to infect this community. And this is a crazy thing for me. Jesus calls the Pharisees brood of vipers, you know. But one of the craziest things I've always seen in Scripture is that Peter gets called out by Paul and it's put in the Bible. For 2,000 years, everybody sees Paul calling out Peter. That's a part of our canon. God allowed for that to be there for us to always see. I, I hurt for Peter. You know? I mean, in, in the saving face game, 2,000 years of being called out in Scripture is, is pretty bad. <laughs> and I think it's hardcore because it's a hardcore issue because the yeast of the Pharisees is a big deal. It's about God saving us. 
It's about us being saved. It's about what Christ did for us and is doing in us. Now, have, you know, there's some of you in this room that don't need to hear this sermon. You need to hear, stop sinning. You know what you're doing is wrong. Um, and quit whining and get over it. And Al Holbert's going to be here next week and he's going to bring that to you. <laughs> and the book of Peter is going to get us there. But you know what? It's not going to talk about smoking. It's going to talk about slander and deceit and hypocrisy and pride because what we really want to get to holy living it's not cleaning the outside of the cup. It's going all the way to the heart and dealing with motives and intentions and, and, and just the deep core issues of who we are. And so here we're talking about a glorious and inexpressible joy that comes from getting the object of our faith right. And in Bend, Oregon, at Antioch Church, we've got to get this foundation right. If we're going to have a church that shines and there's joy and it's attractive and people are like, finally there's an authentic expression of faith. These people are excited about Christ. I've been turned off to religion my whole life and I want to be around those people. If we're going to have that, we've got to come all the way back here and get the foundational stuff right. It's about our souls being saved and that powering us where nothing else circumstantially in our life really matters. We're immune from it. So we've got to talk about these things. It's, you know, I lay awake the last two nights just, just going round and round in my head and like, no, oh, I don't want to talk about this. Because someone will say, oh, it's a young church plant and they're just trying to be edgy. Or, I don't know. I get those weird comments, you know. That's not it at all. It's about the gospel and making it about God and not about us. Because if we start making it about us, guess what? We're going to screw it up like we screw everything else. So I want you to do, uh, do a favor. Do me a favor. Put your hands up. It's not the patty cake. Uh, just put your hands up. Close your eyes if you want to. Peter says you are receiving the goal of your faith. What are you trying to receive from your faith? You've got your hands out right now. What have you been reaching for or trying to receive from your faith? And really search your heart. I mean, is it just a good life? Is it pleasure? Is it status? Is it wealth? Is it power? Influence, or maybe even just physical, physical health. There's some good things in there. They're not, they're, not, they're not the right thing for us to catch or to receive or to take hold of. And just feel it in your in your gut. Just if you're you're seeking for health or money or status, then just know. I mean, it's so plain to see that it's. That can be thwarted. That that race can be cut in on. That you can be cut off. That that's not something that's promised to us. And just well up the desire deep down inside and say, there's only one thing I want to catch. There's only one thing I want to receive. I want to receive 
The salvation of my soul and my faith is to that end. I'm throwing my faith on you, Jesus Christ. I want to receive me, the core of who I am, my soul. I want that to be changed. I want to someday go and be with you. I want it to be right. I want it to be made new. I want it to be imperishable. And if I could just see that I'm attaining that, I can endure trials and still have joy. Can you feel it? We've got to get that one thing right. The foundation has to be there. If any of the other things of our faith can make sense, it's not religion. It's not a people thing. It's a God thing. God saves. And our souls are being saved. Let's pray. You know what? We're not in prayer. I got one more thing to say. <laughs> I'll be glad to change my favorite movie question. If someone just shoots me a two line email and says, Hey man, this is really throwing me off. You know? Do you think you could just put like the rookie or something in there or whatever? Um, and it only takes two sentences. It's got to be authentic. We need to learn authenticity. I'll be glad to change my profile. I'll just change it to uh, what used to be your favorite movie. <laughs> Shut um, <laughs> I just need you to know that. Okay? There is a time when we have to bend to uphold unity. I'm not changing for this letter because it was the wrong kind of letter and I think the wrong kind of person sent it. But I just need you to know it's not about flaunting our freedom. It's not what I'm trying to espouse. It's about having it right here. Okay, now let's pray. Father, um, I just pray that you would guard this church from doing anything stupid. I feel like the only things that could mess up what you're doing here would be sin or stupidity. Father, I just pray that you would guard us, that you would give us the humility. Help me to have humility. Help the leaders to have humility. Help the people in this church to have the humility to be wrong. But I pray that you would also give us the strength to resist becoming the Pharisee. Father, just keep us from pride. Keep us from making it about ourselves and not about you. Let us look up into heaven and see Christ seated at your right hand. And fill us with a glorious and inexpressible joy because it's secure. We're not grasping our faith as something. Praise in Christ. Amen.